0: The sun always shines in El Paso, Texas. It's a city with over 300 sunny days per annum and the 22nd largest city in the nation. The top economic drivers are health care, social assistance and retail. The highest paying jobs are in oil and gas, agriculture and corporate management. El Paso's economy has grown steadily for a decade. Its job growth and housing have followed a similar generally steady pace. Very few big swings in El Paso. The Fort Bliss expansion protected the city's housing market and hedged against the vacancy pressures felt by the rest of the nation. Things were sunny until lockdowns. El Paso has been among the slower to recover after COVID with unemployment remaining above pre-pandemic levels and its recovery trailing both that of Texas and of the nation. Nearly a fifth of the city lives at the poverty level mostly females aged 25 to 34. The median age in El Paso is 33 and Hispanics make up over 90% of El Paso's population. 90% of its people are citizens. There's much in our news about our southern border, including the administration's deal just today to reimplement Remain in Mexico policy. The city of El Paso is front and center as it borders Mexico and international trade greatly bolsters the city's economic base. Today, we speak to someone at the center of it all. Bobby Bowling is a third-generation home builder in El Paso. Bobby, his brother, Randy, and partner, Demetrio Jimenez, own and operate Tropicana Building Corporation. They've built over 3,000 units expertly using 9% tax credits. There's a lot more to the story, but let's get it straight from our guest, Bobby, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Linda. Pleasure to be here.
0: Bobby, let's start with a quick overview. What do we need to know about you and Tropicana?
1: Well, you covered it pretty well. Um, My brother and I are third generation here in El Paso. My grandfather uh, started building in El Paso in around 1950 and um it's a it's a place um, that, that we love living um we, we, we both live here as well as our third partner Demetri Jimenez as you mentioned um and and we came from you know there's there's ebbs and flows in home building and uh, my grandfather was pretty successful um, and then you know in the in the in the mid to late 70s and early 80s uh, my father and my uncle struggled to make it as home builders um, and so to me that always um, you know, talking about we're going to talk a little bit about us having all our eggs in one basket in El Paso, Texas. But to having all of our eggs in one basket as just a single family home builder um, became it became kind of evident that maybe that's not the best way to go forward um, as far as hedging risk and and protecting yourself against, you know, ebbs and flows and swings in the economy. So we branched out um, in the late 90s and, and around 2000 into the multifamily world. And it's just been fantastic. We've had tremendous success, and I'm, I'm super grateful and blessed by God to have what we have on our plate today.
0: With a portfolio exclusive to El Paso County, Texas, in your two decades of operation, have you ever wished that you were not so dependent on a single local economy?
1: Well, um, there's a couple things at play there. First of all, El Paso is incredibly geographically isolated. Um, we're 300 miles from pretty much any other city. And you go to the east and, and it's and it's Lubbock. And, and Lubbock is, is a legit city, but it's not a real big metroplex either. And 300 miles north is Albuquerque and 300 miles west is Tucson. Um, all, you know, nice cities, but kind of comparable to El Paso. So there never really was a big draw for us, you know, geographically. And Plus, with our subcontractor relationships that we have here on the border, I think we have fantastic tradesmen here. Um, but to get them to travel to another locale is not really on the table. So we if we moved our operation somewhere besides just El Paso, um, we'd have to really pretty much set up shop and start anew, like a new business. I, I, of course, we have our knowledge of the industry, but relationships matter a lot to me in this in this world of, of building and developing. Um, and And... Just as much so the local rules and requirements for development and, you know, building code is pretty much the same, but development codes and requirements and and the way people in different cities want things done can vary tremendously from one locale to the next. Um, But as far as having everything here in El Paso, um, you touched on it on your intro. I think, I mean... I could speak for 20 minutes about El Paso because I love, love, love my hometown. So I'm going to try to keep it short, but it, it's a really good place to have all our eggs in one basket. Um, El Paso has some geographic things that are always going to be that, that make it positive. Um, as you, as you mentioned, we're one of the largest border cities in the United States across the street from one of the largest border cities in Mexico. And of course, Mexico is obviously our most important neighbor. So, so we're always going to have that. Um, and, and Partially as a result of that, we have one of the largest military bases in the country as well. Um, It's the largest land-based military installation in the United States, Fort Bliss. And it's always going to be important because, number one, we're on the border. And number two, the desert mountain terrain that we have here is perfect for training um, for the troops that are going to be engaged in places like the Middle East. Um, So... In the last base realignment enclosure, as you mentioned, in the last BRAC process, Fort Bliss was the biggest winner in the country. We were the only base to get substantially more troops, and we got a $5 billion investment from the federal government to improve the base. So there's some distinct advantages to that, um, but there's also some disadvantages to that. We don't have a large corporate presence here in El Paso, like you said. So we're sometimes not going to reap the benefits of a booming U.S. economy like other major metroplexes do. Um, Most of our our, our largest employer are are governmental entities. Um, All the federal law enforcement agencies are here, the FBI, the CIA, the DEA, the Border Patrol, obviously. Um, And those are very stable jobs. Um, So it it does kind of protect us from the booms and busts, like you said, we're not a real big oil-based economy. We're, We're just outside the edge of the Permian Basin. Um, but like you said, you, 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 put it perfectly. We have steady growth, um, for the last 10 years and really for the last, you know, 30 years since I've been in business, it's a nice place to, to live and do business. It's kind of predictable, um, our, our slow and steady growth, it, it's, it's safe. And, um, and we found a really nice niche in, in building a product that, that is, uh, available and affordable to the masses here in El Paso. So. Like I said, it's it's there could be worse places to have all your eggs in one basket. It, it it's a it's a good, it's been a good community to us.
0: Does operating low-income tax credit properties mitigate the risk of geographic concentration at all?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think if we were, um, I think it's a pretty tough place to make a living as a custom builder or someone selling a high-end product here in El Paso because we just don't have. Like we, like we, like I just mentioned, we just don't have a lot of, you know, high-paid corporate executives here. I mean, we have some, and it's, 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 you know, it's, it's a great place to live and it's a great place to locate. I wish we had more, um, but but really, you know, our economy is is what it is, and we accept that, and we deliver a product and and serve the market as as it is, and. Like you said, 20% of the population in El Paso lives below the federal poverty level. Um, We know that. Um, I knew that off the top of my head before you even mentioned it. Um, And we're just aware of those things. And so of course, low-income housing is is always gonna have um, an appeal here. We're always gonna have a lot of first and second generation Americans. And the thing that they need first and foremost is affordable housing. Um, And so so we're providing that with with our low-income housing. And then we also, um, and we'll talk about that, uh, you know, probably a little further along in this interview, is we, we try to incubate those people and eventually get them into the American dream of homeownership. So.
0: Have you considered expanding into other regions?
1: Yeah, so this is a question I get asked a lot, like at, you know, trade shows and things like that. Why are we only in El Paso? Um, I think if we had stuck with just being a single family home builder, we probably would have expanded at this point, my brother and I, into southern New Mexico and and probably the Permian Basin. Um, But we chose instead to grow vertically. and, um, And we've invested in lumber companies and door companies and window companies and other real estate services over the year with some success. But where we've really been successful in vertically integrating is our mortgage company, Um, Patriot Mortgage, as well as our apartment development company. And then what followed was our apartment management um, company. So instead of expanding, you know, um, horizontally to another geographic location, we've expanded, you know, vertically, and just provided more housing um, uh, resources and and more housing options for for the people of El Paso. And it's been great for us.
0: The 9% tax credits that you use are awarded on a competitive basis. What is the secret formula for winning these credits on such a consistent basis?
1: Yeah, so I think that's probably just like any other successful um, business story. It's it's just a lot of hard work, um, preparation, research, um, studying, determination. And then all of that leads to some extremely good luck or divine blessings along the way. Um, the 9% program is something that's changed our whole life as a business um, and for our employees and for the residents of El Paso. Um, a lot of it is just being at the right place at the right time um, on a lot of things um, and just showing up and doing your best and doing our best in an honest way. And sometimes when we make mistakes, um, really delve into where our responsibility was on that and try to improve um, for the next year. But um, we've been awarded 30, we've been fortunate to have been awarded 37 competitive 9% tax credit awards since the year 2000, when I first applied. And that first year of 2000 was the, f- the only year that we didn't um, win an award. So um, the program itself has always been like a natural for me with the, with the talents I was born with. I, I always have liked to like read the rules of, of a game or of a competition and try to try to figure out the best way to go and, and try to master whatever the game is. Um, I like politics. I like public policy debates, um, and I like building things. So all of those things are kind of the right mix for, um, for, for what the tax credit program is. And then there's one other thing that's, that's probably maybe the most key is I'm extremely competitive. Um, it's hard like around these times, you know, holiday times when the family wants to play games, nobody wants to play with me because I, I don't I don't really know how to behave sometimes because I just I hate, hate losing. And so, you know, with a 9% program, it's it's a competition every year. And, um, you know, I've I've scratched and clawed and, and did everything I could, um, especially early in my career um, to try and make sure that we got a competitive tax credit award every year here for El Paso. So.
0: Still, it is not a lock. Does the uncertainty of the tax credits awards cause any concerns or difficulties in planning? So,
1: I mean, fortunately at this point in my career, um, we're probably fine if we never get another tax credit award. Um, but when I was younger um, and rising up from a working class family in Northeast El Paso, oh heck yeah, man, I was I was hell-bent to fight tooth and nail um, to try to get a tax credit award every year. I mean, sometimes you know we we challenged rules, we brought in lawyers, we you know fought it political debates, we challenged you know the rules, and we challenged the authority over over the awards process. and and um, it, it's uh, it's it, it, it's it's a tough competition. but I, I think what I would do, I, I just I just I just kept working until I could find the right combination every year. And in Texas, a lot of the points are awarded based on location. And um, the QAP, which are the rules that every state puts together to govern the 9% program, um, it changes every year in Texas. But I would try to stay involved and up to speed and educated and in tune with the conversations that were going on so I could see where next year's QAP was going as far as points. And I would try to factor that into sites that I would go look for here in El Paso County that I thought would be would be what the public policy shift for next year would be and what would score high. And luckily I, I guessed right most of the time. Um, and so, um, you know, it, it it's been a nice ride. Um, I will say though, even when I was young, we always had the single family home building company and the mortgage company, um, to fall back on. And we have a real estate brokerage as well. Um, and actually once the first couple of years were under our belt and we, I would say I, I always tell people this. Like to me, the break-even point was having 300 units. Once we had 300 units, we could kind of have another profit center at our apartment management company. Um, that was kind of that was kind of the 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 even watermark where we needed to 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 rise above. And so that that developed into a wonderful company and a, and a great profit center for us as well. Especially now that we have over 3,500 units. So the economies of scale of that just really you know start to help you exponentially with every new deal It costs less and less to operate. So.
0: So in market rate, it's not uncommon to see projects with hundreds of units. We don't see communities of that size very often in the affordable space. Why is that?
1: Yeah, I I think that's because, um, you know, most of the affordable product is is financed or subsidized with some limited government resource. Right. So, I mean, Texas is a big state. Um, even if we're getting, you know, a a 10 year credit of $500 million every year, um, that's still a limited resource that needs to be spread out over, you know, Texas has a, a, a regional allocation formula where the state is broken up into 27 different independent competitions. So, um, you know, even a big number like, you know, 50 million or 500 million over 10 years, you know, gets spread pretty thin when you start looking at those 27 different competitions, getting each a little pot pot of money. So, you know, the public policy leaders, at least in Texas, and I think nationwide always kind of want to make sure that different parts of their state get their fair share. Um, Or that no one gets shut out. So that leads to, you know, there's there's going to be a a maximum in in most instances that you could apply for, Um, like like in the rural areas of Texas today with inflation, that number for 2022 is going to be about 50 units. In um, most of the rural areas. So there's going to be a lot of 50 unit developments that are that are applied for next year. And so I think but but I, I would just say as a, as a commentary on that, I think that's probably good. Um, it, it is important to make sure that all regions of every one of these states and Everyone of all these places around the country, you know, are able to participate in this program because it's it's such a fantastic program. Really, it is. I mean, we could have a whole 30 minute discussion just about the nine percent program to me because it's I, I don't know what happened that made Congress actually get something right. But they did with this program. It, it makes sense on so many levels, so little oversight of government bureaucracy. The private sector polices itself and the units get built at a price per square foot that's reasonable. And it's just such a fantastic public policy program.
0: Well, as a part of that, Bobby, Tropicana offers a variety of social services to its residents. What percentage of residents engage in these programs?
1: So, I think about fifty percent of our residents throughout our portfolio take advantage of at least a, uh, one of the social services that we provide. Um, we wish that were higher, um, and we try to come up with services from one year to the next that um, that appeal to the tenants and that add real value to their lives. Um, part of the problem, though, is you you mentioned this in your intro. You know, residents of of El Paso and really 9% tax credit residents in general around the country. A lot of them are single moms, you know, um, with a job. And so they just don't have as much free time like for self betterment as probably they would wish or that we would wish, um, you know, so it's 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 kind of a tough thing that to, to, for a lot of the families, you know, the, the, the tenant is just going to work and then coming home, making dinner, taking care of the kids and then and then going to bed and then doing you know activities with the kid on the weekend. So or kids. And so it's it's, um, you know, it's tough. But, um, you know, we have a full time social services director here at Tropicana Properties. And she does a really good job. She's got a master's in social work and, and we do a lot of outreach. And, and like I said, we try to do a lot of programs that add value. Um, we, we do some healthcare stuff. We do some, you know, um, dietary classes and there's a, there's a tremendous, you know, tremendously high percentage of El Pasoans that have some form of diabetes. And so we try to address that, um, exercise and things like that. So, so yeah, I, I I think it's, it's a great thing that we offer and I you know we do everything we can from one day to the next to try to get as many of the of the families and the tenants involved in the
0: programs. This is a question you would know for sure. What programs are of the most benefit to keeping residents housed or even to become a homeowner?
1: Yeah so by far our best social program is the uh, homeownership programs we offer to our tenants. Um, in the last four years um, from 2018 and including 2021 um, we've had the pleasure, and we've been able to qualify 60 of our former low-income tenants into home ownership, um, and it's it's just a fantastic thing, and it, we're so proud of that. You know, we're averaging that's 15 tenants per year um, that are going from low-income housing into home ownership, um, and the programs for those families some, sometimes start out with just learning English as a second language. And then we graduate them to financial literacy classes, and then we graduate them to homebuyer counseling. And then at the very last, and sometimes you think this would be the easiest step to send out realtors and mortgage loan officers to try to work with the family and convince them that they can do this. But sometimes that's the hardest thing to get over is the mentality of you know, people come from a background where they think they can't have something nice. And and that's the most rewarding thing when you can convince a family you can do this. You know you can buy a home. Here's your income. Here's what your monthly payment will be. You, you have a stable job. You have a stable income. And look at this this wonderful house. Um, we we try to our model tax credit development, um, and we're not always able to achieve this. But what we go for is we try to do a tax credit development first, and then build single family houses around the tax credit development and the physical visual. You know, thing of look, home ownership is literally right across the street from where you live. And, um, you know, El Paso, I just want to take a little rabbit hole here. A lot of places that wouldn't work because there's a lot of NIMBYs, you know, in this country that are like, not in my backyard. I don't want to live next to quote unquote those people. But El Paso is so wonderful, like that. We've never had that as a problem. We'll, we'll be able to sell two hundred and fifty and three hundred thousand dollar houses right across the street or just blocks away from one of our tax credit developments, and it's never, it's never been a thing. Um, but we have some wonderful stories that have come out of out of this. We and we've gotten some fantastic local media coverage when it does happen that we get a low income family into home ownership. We the last one we did was you know a couple of years ago. And we had a lady who started out and, and I, I don't want to exaggerate. I think she had five kids and she barely spoke English and she went through our programs and she learned English. She got financial literacy. We took her to home by her counseling. But on her own, she went out and got a degree at the community college and then she got a nursing degree. So she went from this low income family as a single mom with five kids. And when the local media were like, now we're doing a show in her home. And she's talking about, this is my home and I own this and I'm so grateful. And it's such a wonderful program to graduate me from, I didn't know where to go. She was leaving a bad marriage and she came to low income housing. It was all all she could afford. And now she lives in a 250 or $300,000 house and she's a nurse. So, I mean, I, there, there's just a bunch of stories like that about this program. That's why I tell you, I, I I can talk to you for 30 minutes about the 9% program. It's such a good program um, for low income families. Especially when you have the social services that do things like encourage home ownership, which is what our program really boils down to with our social services.
0: That's a memorable story. As a builder and manager of multifamily and single family housing, have you considered getting into the single family rental business?
1: Well, um, so we have customers um, that want to live in a rental community. And we have some that just definitely do not. Um, usually, younger people in transition that are that are mobile appreciate living in a rental community. They're surrounded by people that are kind of in the same boat. You know, they're they're just kind of establishing themselves. They're a lot more socially. You know, extroverted, and, and they and they want to congregate with with other with other people in in a rental community, but but then there's people who are are not looking for that. Um, we we have had people in our single family subdivisions who have straight up asked us, you know, at the point of contract. Now, you guys are not selling homes for rent in this subdivision, are you? Because if you are, I don't know if I'm interested in living here. Um, so it, it's just a matter of personal taste, and we found that. Even though our model is, like I said, to have a tax credit development, you know, kind of at the entrance of the subdivision and then single family housing around it, um, we're, that, that's still kind of a, a separate, you know, two separate products that, that we're pushing is, is the homeownership here. And, and, and that's not to say we haven't had investors like everybody does um, as in the home building industry that come in and they want to buy 20 houses or 30 houses and, and they want to rent them. And we, we, try to, we try to avoid that um, when we can. I will say our multifamily product is very similar to our single family product. Um, we, we use much of the same building materials. Um, it's kind of seamless. You wouldn't really, it doesn't really stand out as a low-income um, apartment complex uh, in, in the middle of the other single family homes that are in, in one subdivision. Um, almost all of our product is, is quadruplexes, most of them one-story quadruplexes. Um, and like I said, we use the same, you know, stucco materials and roofing materials and landscaping and even the interior products. We use ceramic tile on our low-income housing um, developments and, and um, you know, the same kind of appliances, Energy Star, and all of our units have their own washer dryer and all of them are individually metered. So when we go to doing the transition from rental housing to home ownership, you know, a lot of our tenants are already pretty familiar with, you know, they're paying their own utility bills. They're, they're, they, they've got all of the things and the amenities and bells and whistles that are our single family homes have, so.
0: Bobby, you really are an inspiration. You are the gateway of the American dream. Thank you for sharing your boots on the ground knowledge with us today.
1: Thank you, Linda, it's a pleasure. Um, I think this program is fantastic. I watch the other ones that you have posted at NHB and, and uh, it's really a good service, so thank you.
0: Thank you very much. And thank you for being a part of, you're, you're what makes our industry great. Well, thank you. It's a pretty sure bet. Our southern border will be top of mind for some time to come. And as with everything, housing will always be a part of the story. Well, that's our show. Thank you for joining us. I'm Linda Hoffman. Look forward to our next exciting episode of NAHB Power Hitters.